I know why you're here. God knows why you're here, all right? You're here to study the Trinity. Today we're wrapping up uh, at least this portion of our study of the Trinity. When we talk about the Trinity, this is what we believe. We believe that the Godhead exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that these three are one God and are worthy of precisely the same confidence, obedience, and worship. So we believe that God is one that God exists in three persons, and that the three persons are each fully God. And having, having considered together the God the Father one week and God the Son today, we will focus on God the Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking through this sermon, um, my, my working title started out like this, right? Holy Spirit. It's catchy. It's on topic, but I thought it needed a little oomph. So I added this. I'd like, I'm curious what you guys might think about it. Holy Spirit better than Jesus. How's that grab you? Um, some of you might be thinking, been reflecting on this. If all three persons are fully God, worthy of the same confidence, obedience, and worship... <clears throat> Pastor, you might want to rethink the latter part of that sermon title, right? Um, in fact, you might want to take me aside and say, Larry, where on earth did you get a sermon title like that? To which I would say, I got it from Jesus. And you'd say, seriously? And I'd say, yes, right here in John chapter 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, there's a sense all of a sudden that that sermon title's not as totally off base as it seemed at first, Right? Um, it's still, admittedly, it's still a bad, misleading title, um, but there's a kernel of truth in there <clears throat> in that Jesus himself says that it's better for the Holy Spirit to be amongst his disciples than for him as a man to stay on earth and be amongst his disciples. Think about that. Um, that's a pretty amazing thing to have said about you that having you around is more advantageous than having Jesus around. Um, so, let's think today about the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to bow with me in prayer, and we'll look at some Scripture together. Father, in your kindness, may your Spirit even now do his good work in us. May he teach us. May he convict us, may he comfort us, may he do all, all that only he can do for us. We need his presence, and we ask for it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, let, me, let me start by saying I'm about to back up a rather large truckload of Bible verses and dump them on you, okay? So if, if the Bible drill helps you stay awake, then by all means follow me through the Bible, but I'll do my best I've done my best to get all the scriptures up on the screen. You can follow along there 
if it allows you to track with me a little better. The first thing I want us to realize is, especially these days, we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a force. Okay, Star Wars has not helped us with this at all, with the force. The force in Star Wars, of course, largely impersonal it is. Something, <laughs> something to be used it is. And sentence structure forever messed up, it is, as a result of Star Wars. Um, Star Wars has not been helpful. N neither has the Jehovah Witnesses. Um, their teaching about the Holy Spirit is, is, this is from one of their websites, the Counselor of the Holy Spirit, it is God's active force. Okay. Not a person. It's a force, is what they would teach. But the Bible speaks of the Spirit not with the language of impersonal force to be harnessed or used, but as a personal being distinct from the Father and Son who relates to us as a person, just like the Father or the Son. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. Okay. Let me show you how that might play out in the Scriptures a little bit. The Holy Spirit thinks. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The spirit of God comprehends the Father. Um, the, the spirit can be grieved. It has emotions. In Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were satisfied, or by whom you were sealed, excuse me, for the day of redemption. The spirit has emotions. He can be grieved. The Spirit speaks and teaches. Uh, John 14, Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So He teaches. Speaks very clearly at times in Acts. The Spirit says to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Okay? There's personal communication. The Spirit prays. In Romans 8, Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit thinks, grieves, speaks, teaches, reminds, prays. It sounds personal to me. And at this point, we apply that great theological axiom known as the duck test, okay? If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck, okay? So if the Spirit does all these personal things, Spirit's probably a person. God is showing us that the Spirit is a person. So when we deal with the Holy Spirit, we're dealing with a personal being in the exact same way we deal with a personal being when we deal with the Father or we deal with the Son. Okay. Not like the force in Star Wars. And, and just like when we are dealing with the Father and the Son, we are dealing with God, so too when we deal with the Spirit, we are dealing in exactly the same way with God. And the Bible presents traits and actions that belong exclusively to God. It gives those things to the Spirit. 
For instance, the Spirit is everywhere. The Spirit is omnipresent. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Where shall I go from your Spirit? Where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your, your right hand shall hold me. The Spirit, the Spirit is everywhere. It's omnipresent, like, like God. The Spirit is active in creation and exists even before creation. As soon as you open your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit is involved in creation and exists prior to creation. The Spirit has the power to raise people from the dead. In Romans 8, Paul writes, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit is going to raise us from the dead. And the Spirit is used, you've already seen it in Genesis 1, it's like interchangeable with a reference to God. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, such that in Acts chapter 5, Peter says to Ananias um, about some real estate fraud. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did not remain your own, and after it was sold, is it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And earlier he says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? So that to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. If the Spirit is God, as the Father is God and as the Son is God, then and only then does the Great Commission make sense. Because remember the Great Commission, it says... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That makes no sense if the Holy Spirit is not on equal footing with Father and Son as, as God. Um, so if it looks like a duck, the Holy Spirit is presented as God, having the attributes of God, doing the works of God throughout the Scriptures. Holy Spirit is God, worthy of the same confidence, obedience, and worship as the Father and as the Son. I'd, I'd like for us to think a little bit, though, as we have in past weeks, about how the Spirit relates in the Trinity because though the three are God, they relate to one another differently. Okay? The Father to the Son, we've talked about a good bit. And now we'll see how the Spirit relates, especially uh, towards the Son. Dale Bruner wrote a book on the Holy Spirit, and this is what he titled it. The Holy Spirit, Shy Member of the Trinity. Here's why he calls it that. He says, one of the most surprising discoveries... In my own study of the doctrine and the experience of the Spirit in the New Testament is what I can only call the shyness of the Spirit. What I mean here is not the shyness of timidity 
Because in 1 Timothy 1, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 1, Paul calls the Spirit the Spirit of power. But he says it's the Spirit of deference, the Spirit of a concentrated attention on another. It's not the shyness with which we experience of self-centeredness, but the shyness of other-centeredness. In a word, the shyness of love. He says the Spirit withdraws from sight and points to Jesus saying, notice Him, listen to Him, pay attention to Him, fall in love with Him, be preoccupied with Him. And if you were to go home today and read um, John 14 through 16, one of the one of the most prominent teachings about the Holy Spirit in, in the Bible, you'll find that Jesus himself teaches that the coming Holy Spirit is not going to speak on his own behalf. The Spirit has one single task, to glorify Christ and to point to him. Here's some examples from John chapter 14, verse 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit is sent to help us remember the teachings of Jesus. Not, not fancy new ideas of the Spirit, but the teachings of Jesus. In chapter 15, Jesus says again, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me. The Spirit is coming to witness about Jesus. In chapter 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you hear why the Spirit's here? It's to exalt and glorify Jesus. He's shy in the sense that it's not all about him. It's all about another, the Son especially. So John tells us that these, the Spirit is sent by the Father in the name of the Son. The Spirit reminds us of the Son's teaching. He speaks the words of the Son, not his own. One writer summarized it this way. He said, we are not necessarily in the presence of the Holy Spirit when we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. But we are in the presence of the Spirit when we are in the presence of a person or a church who seeks to give honor to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, in other words, does not focus on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit focuses on Christ. So that the Holy Spirit is all about honoring and exalting Jesus. The Spirit empowers Jesus to do miracles when he is in the form of a man. Matthew 12, Jesus says... If it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Not his own power. Not the power of the Son, necessarily. But it's by the Spirit of God that Jesus casts out demons. You know, when you read that Christmas story every year, it's the Holy Spirit that brings Jesus into the world. If you go to Matthew 1, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And you skip down a verse or so. That which is conceived in you, Mary, is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
brings Jesus to us. The Spirit is behind every heartfelt confession that Jesus is Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Um, Dale Bruner helped me think about this graphically. Let me see if my art skills can pull it off. <clears throat> Let me begin this way. Okay. You with me? Okay. It's obvious who that is, right? Not me. Let me help you out. That, you guys should have known this, is Jesus. Like every answer in Sunday school, right? It's Jesus. Now, Dale Bruner says, this is what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is like. That's what the Spirit does. He slips out of you and he does this. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He exalts and honors Jesus. I love the way he puts it. He says that um, he says the Spirit is the Ed McMahon to Jesus Johnny Carson, right? Here's Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. He says it's often been pointed out the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the Trinity, the great neglected person of the Godhead. He says, but the Holy Spirit's desire and work is that we be overcome again, thrilled again, excited and gripped again by the wonder, the majesty, the relevance of Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not mind being Cinderella outside the ballroom if the prince is honored inside his kingdom. So the Holy Spirit is shy in the sense that it's not about him. It's about Jesus. And when the Spirit fills us, that's how he manifests himself. Our love for Jesus, our desire to exalt and honor and serve Jesus goes way, way, way up. So in a sense, he's shy, but not in a timid, fearful, do-nothing sense. The Spirit is incredibly active in our lives. I, I rambled through the New Testament and just started noting everything that the Spirit does. Okay. And uh, through the almost wonders of modern technology, I have my notes up there for you guys to see. Let me read them to you. The Spirit gives words to speak. He conceived Jesus. He endorsed Jesus. He led Jesus into the wilderness. He drives out demons. He inspired the Old Testament writers. He fills people. He reveals prophetic truth. He gives power. He's given to those who ask of him. He teaches. He causes new birth. He gives life. He is truth. He testifies of Jesus. He gives revelation. He is a witness. He can be resisted. He guides people. He strengthens and encourages the church. He pours love into our hearts. He gives power for living. He lives in us. He assures us of our faith. He helps the weak. He intercedes for us. He gives righteousness, peace, and joy. There's more. Okay. He gives hope. He sanctifies. He 
accomplishes miracles. He knows God's thoughts. He gives understanding. He justifies. He confesses Jesus. He gives gifts. He seals us in our faith. He guarantees our faith. He calls out to God, Abba, Father, on our behalf. He defeats the flesh. He leads us. He gives fruit. He gives eternal life. He gives access to God. He brings unity. He can be grieved. His word is his sword. We can pray in the spirit. He has fellowship with us. He preaches the gospel. He gives the word, and he invites us to Christ. Robert Lethem gives a good short summary, much shorter summary. He says, fellowship with one another and with the Father and the Son, it's by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit sanctifies gives joy in sufferings, open people's minds to believe, enables us to worship, and brings about union with Christ. You know, if you don't pick up on it yet, the entire Christian life happens through the Spirit. All of it. We obey the Father by the Spirit. Even back in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, in anticipation of the coming of the Spirit in the way that he has come amongst us, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We resist temptation by the Spirit. Paul says, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're changed by the Spirit. He produces this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We are strengthened by the Spirit, and we know and love Christ by the Spirit. Ephesians 3 says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the work of the Spirit. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love that Christ surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That, that's the Spirit. The whole church is built up by the Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. <coughs> the whole church, this church gathered here, it's shaped by the Spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he will. Do you ever wonder why I mostly preach and never sing? 
You ever wonder? <laughs> no, you don't wonder about that. Never, uh, you've sat next to me. You know why. You ever wonder why Daniel always leads worship and why Jeff is responsible for our leadership training and Rob leads our evangelism and Jake heads up the administration of our discipleship? Um, it's not just job descriptions. See, we believe that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good and not just pastors. To each one, Paul says, you, be you a believer, you have a manifestation of the Spirit within you for the good of these people in this room. You do. It says there at the end, to each one individually as he wills. We come to know Christ at all that we are believers. It's the work of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And there's this horrific list of things that we were. He says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We are who we are in Christ by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit brings us to God. And in another sense, a very real sense, He brings God to us. Um, every time you open the Bible, according to 2 Peter 1, it says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You read the words that are given, inspired by the Spirit. The Spirit, Paul says in this mind-boggling teaching that we're going to explore in a couple weeks, the Spirit indwells you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Is that what you thought this morning as you stood in front of the mirror? Right? Temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? Within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The Spirit is how we experience the love God has for us. Romans 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Michael Reeves writes that the Spirit's personal presence in us means we are brought to enjoy the Spirit's own intimate communion with the Father and the Son. If the Spirit were not God, He could not do that. It is all because God is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that we can have such communion. If God was in heaven and His Spirit a mere force, He would be more distant, he writes, than the moon. But the Spirit is God Himself who comes and lives among us even within our bodies. Go figure, right? Can't wait for Sam Williams to teach us about that. This love that we share in by virtue of the Spirit's work in us is simply too rich and too abundant for us to dam it up at the edge of our property and keep it to ourselves. 
So the Spirit pours such vast love into our hearts that it simply must spill over as it is spilled from the Father and the Son into us. It must spill over from amongst us to others. The love the Spirit brings to us is the fuel for our mission. It's interesting in John when he records Jesus' way of sending out his, his disciples in John says this. Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me in love, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, the love that he brings to us, as the Father has loved the Son and sent him, now the Spirit is being given to us to replicate the same thing. In Acts chapter 1, we find that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Michael Reeves says that when we understand that it's the Spirit bearing the love of God, and the Father and the Son to us that spills over out of us, he says that changes, completely changes what mission looks like. For it's not then that God lounges back in heaven simply phoning in his order that we get on with evangelism so that he might get more servants. It's not what it's about. He says if that were the case, evangelism would take a lot of self-motivation. And you can always tell when the church thinks like that. For that's when evangelism gets left to the more adrenaline-stoked salespeople slash professionals. He says, but the reality is so different. The truth is that God is already on mission. In love, the Father has sent His Son and His Spirit. It's the outworking of His very nature. So it is with the Father and the Son, He says. So it is with us. The Spirit catches us up to share their pleasure, and it's that delight in them that fuels us to want to make them known. This Spirit-caused enjoyment of the fellowship, the increasing love for the Father and the Son, it turns us to share their outgoing love for the world. We become like what we worship. He says, if, if I don't enjoy Christ, I won't speak of Him, or, or perhaps worse, I will. But without love and enjoyment, and if my mouth gives way my heart, people will hear of an unwanted Christ, and who would want that? Of course, the Spirit can use us even when our hearts are a mess. But it is the Spirit who enables us to love our neighbors as He pours into our hearts the love of the Father. So I built a really good friendship with uh, the owner of the, the past owner of the fig that used to be right across the street. That was like my office extension. I met people over there all the time and got to know everybody over there. And, and God gave me a special um, love for the owner. And as I got to know her, uh, I, was sh I, I had a prompting from God uh, to give her a book about a modern-day parable of what it would be like to meet Jesus in a restaurant. Since she's running a restaurant, I thought it would be fabulous. So I was going to take it over to her, and all of a sudden, there's a closed sign-up, and she had shut down her restaurant. And so I thought, oh, well but I couldn't let it go. So I went over there to try to see if there was anybody around. There's nobody around the place. It had already been vacated by the time I saw the sign. So I sent an email. Email bounced back. So 
by proxy, since I don't do Facebook, I got one of my minions to do Facebook for me. <clears throat> no luck. She's on LinkedIn. I don't do LinkedIn. I got another minion to do LinkedIn. No luck. I got him to get one of his high-powered minions who has professional LinkedIn to try to track her down. No, no luck. Um, so I call the realtor who's got the sign out front. He gives me a phone number. It's not the right phone number. I see one of her employees down at another coffee shop in town. I grab him and I say, do you have a phone number for her? She says, yeah, I do. And finally, it's her phone number. And last week, I got to sit down with her and have coffee and give her the gift that I believe God wanted me to give to her. Now, why, why did I do all that? Because I'm an amazing guy? <laughs> like the best pastor you've had like all year, right? Probably. Best lead pastor. That's the spirit of God at work. Okay? He he pours the love of the Father and the Son into our hearts such that it spills over. Don't dam it up at the edge of your yard. He wants to pour it in you so that you love those neighbors. And he's pouring it into us such that we love the nations. So there's all kinds of wonderful North Wakers living in crazy places around the world, and they send out emails like this all the time. This comes from one of our ladies in India. Please continue to remember my sweet friend Dolly. Please. I will be moving to my new city towards the end of the month, and already Dolly has begun to dread the separation. Imagine the thoughts that run in my mind, knowing that if Dolly doesn't decide to walk with Jesus, we may well one day be separated forever. Pray that these last few weeks will be filled with even more intentional conversations and that the Father would provide the language skills and words to communicate truth to Dolly. Why do they go? Why do they care about Dolly and all the people that they're meeting in the streets of Delhi or you know, Chongqing or Papua New Guinea? Why do they care? It's the work of the Spirit. It's what he does with his church. He pours a love in us that is greater than we can contain. There is a sense that as the Spirit is sent by the Son to indwell and empower and transform each one of us, it's better than Jesus. Understand me? Okay? It's better than if Jesus had stayed here in human flesh in one place at one time for, for all time. Because the Spirit is in us, producing this love in us, this fruit in us. Do you know that the Spirit can be resisted? I don't know if you're aware of that teaching. It's really um, it's a little unnerving, honestly. Um, in Acts chapter 7, in one of those great sermons, shocking sermons in the book of Acts, says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. This was not a happy thing to say to a Jewish audience, by the way. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Spirit can be resisted. It doesn't always use that language. In the book of Hebrews, it says, um, 
that God appoints a certain day today, saying through David long afterward in words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You, sometimes you can, it's like you can hear God's voice. You can sense the prompting work of the Spirit in you. And you can resist that. You can harden your heart. And that's one of the saddest things I know. It reaps fruit that you do not want to reap. We are about to begin at the elders' direction about a five-week reflection and study on Sunday mornings on what it means for us to welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I just wonder this morning, maybe, as we kind of kick that off as we step out of the Trinity formally and continue to think about the Spirit for a bit, maybe God is saying to you, will you say yes to me? Would you say yes to the work of my Spirit in a way that you've been resisting? And some of you know exactly what that means for you. I have no idea. Some of you, it's about something very specific that you need to say no to so you can say yes to the Father. Some of you, it's just a general sense that God wants to do something in you and with you and through you. That's amazing. That's, that's God-sized. Maybe in your family or in your neighborhood or maybe where you are a student or a teacher or you work. You don't know, but, but I'm just wondering today if you can sense God saying, say yes to me. Say yes to the good work of my spirit. And so we'd like to close just with a chance for you to say yes. Worship team's going to come, and they're going to lead us through the first verse of this little chorus. We want to sing to the Father and the Son and the Spirit as we close. And during that time, if you can sense God saying, for whatever reason, that he wants you to open up to the work of the Spirit, whatever that means in the weeks that are ahead, and say yes. If you'll come down here, and you can kneel or stand in the front, then after the first verse is sung, I'll step back up here, and we'll have a time to pray for whoever's down here before we conclude our worship. So if you'll stand, let's worship Christ. And if as the song starts, you think God's speaking to you, just make your way down here so that we can pray for you in a moment.